Have you ever wondered what God would say to you? That if, if you were to get home this afternoon and you uh, heard a knock at the door and it was God and he wanted to come in and, and have a conversation, have you ever wondered what he might say to you? I wonder what he might say to me. I wonder if he might address some of the issues in my life, some of the things going on in, in me, uh, things going on in my heart, things going on in my life. I, I wonder if he would address different things in my life, such as um, my walk with Christ. Uh, would he address my, my Christianity? Would he say that I, I could be doing better? Um, I could be reading my Bible more. I could be praying more. That I could be more forgiving. I could be more loving as a Christian. Maybe that's what he'd say to me. Or as a husband, I could be more patient with my wife. I know he would say that. That I would be more devoted to her, that I would be uh, more appreciative of her. Or as a father, that I'd be more patient with my son, that I would spend more time with him and invest more of my, my life in him. Maybe as a pastor, that God would say to me something along the lines of you could spend more time preparing sermons and preparing Bible studies and, and uh, more time in, in, in the word when it comes to getting ready to preach. I'd probably say something like that. I wonder what God would say to me. <clears throat> I wonder what he would say to me if he were to come knock on my door this afternoon. I wonder what kind of questions I would ask him. What, what would I say to him? I think one of the things that I'd want to know is, and I think this is something that we all want to know, is, is I'd ask the question, am I on the right track? Have you ever thought of that question? That you just like to ask God, am I on the right track? I, I know I'm not perfect. I, I know that I fall short. I, I know that I sin. I, I know that I'm not the perfect mom or perfect dad. I know that I'm not the perfect Christian, the perfect husband, the perfect wife. I'm not the perfect teenager. Uh, I'm not the perfect kid. Uh, but, but am I on the right track? What kind of questions would you have for God? If God came knocking on your door this afternoon, what kind of questions would you ask him? Probably ask him, do you want to come in out of the rain? But uh, what kind of questions would you have for God? I want you to think about that for just a moment. If you could ask God one question and you knew that he would answer it for you, if you could ask him one question, what would that question be? Think about it for just a minute. If you could ask God one question and you knew that he would answer it, what would that question be? Now, I'm going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone for just a second. I want you to turn to your neighbor, if you feel comfortable doing so, and, and tell them your question. What is the question you would ask God? Go ahead and share it with your neighbor. Ask them and let them tell you. If you feel comfortable, and this is not mandatory, but what would you ask God if you could ask God a question? You're a little bit louder than the first service. They were whispering. I don't want anybody to overhear what I say. I don't want anybody to hear my question. What would you ask God if you could ask him any question? Maybe it would be a, a question of why. Why do seemingly innocent people seem to suffer and the seemingly wicked people seem to prosper? That's a good question. That's a question a lot of people ask. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a question a lot of people ask. And they would love to ask God that question. 
Maybe it's a question of, of why. Uh, why did someone pass away? Why did I lose someone I love at too young of an age? Maybe it's a question of why. Uh, why do I struggle with this sin? Why do I struggle with this temptation so much? How can I overcome this sin? How can I overcome this struggle, this temptation? Maybe it's a question of, of where. Where am I going to go when I die? That's a good question. If you knew that you could ask God one question and you knew that he would speak to you, you knew that he would answer your question, you knew that you would hear his voice, what would that question be? See, I think there's a real desire in our world to know that God is listening, but I think there's an equal amount of desire to hear God's voice, that people want to hear God speaking to them. They want to know that God is there. And maybe that's a question somebody would ask. Somebody would say, are you there, God? They want to know if he even exists. Or they want to know if God loves them. They, 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 I think that's, that's a, a, a real big one, is that, that people want to know that God loves them. And a lot of people doubt that. They think because of the things that they've done, the things that they've said, the, things that they've, the places they've been, the things that they've thought, that because of the things in their life, they think they're not worthy of God's love. And they would just want to know, God, do you love me? My prayer is that you would never have to ask that question. My prayer is that you would know without a shadow of a doubt that you would know that God loves you. So, I believe that God has spoken. I believe that God speaks to us. And I believe that he speaks to us through the word. Through the written and living word of God. I believe that he has spoken to us. And I believe that he continues to speak to us through his word. Why do I believe this? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to begin a brand new sermon series today called Jesus is Greater. And it's a study in the book of Hebrews. Now you may be wondering, why are we studying the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews is all about Jesus. And I, I thought to myself as I was planning my sermon sermons for the year, I was planning my preaching for the year, I thought, what better way to spend our summer than talking about Jesus? And you're like, we talk about Jesus every Sunday. No, we're going to go in depth in our discussions of Jesus and who Jesus is. And we're going to talk about the book of Hebrews all summer long. So for the next 13 weeks, we're going to go through chapter by chapter in big chunks, the book of Hebrews. Now, one of the things that we don't know about the book of Hebrews is who wrote it. The author is not identified anywhere in the book. Some have thought that it, it is a, a, an epistle of Paul, that it is a, a letter of Paul. But the writing style and the subject matter... It uh, doesn't seem to fit Paul, and, and that, that scholars have pretty much dismissed the idea that Paul wrote Hebrews. Some have said it was written by Barnabas, and some others have said it was written by Apollos. But again, there's no real way to know who wrote the book of Hebrews, because the author doesn't identify himself. What we know is that in, in those days, when you would write a letter, you would identify yourself, and then you would identify your audience, and you would give an invocation to a deity. And that doesn't happen in Hebrews. 
No, the author of Hebrews just dives right in to the subject matter. It's a very interesting letter. Throughout the book of Hebrews, the author takes Old Testament passages to point to Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as God incarnate, and as superior to everything in the world, everything in the universe, everything in creation. Jesus is superior. And that's why we're calling this sermon series, Jesus is Greater. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next 13 weeks. The greatness of Jesus Christ. I can't think of any better way to spend my summer than talking about Jesus and learning about him together. And I just want to remind you that uh, every Monday night, uh, except for the week of VBS, we'll be having our feedback study. We're going to take the passage that we pre- that I preach on on Sunday morning, and we're going to go a little more in-depth with it on Monday nights. Uh, and you're all invited. We'd love for you to show up. Uh, and uh, all you need to do is bring a Bible. There's no cost. Uh, it's just bring a Bible and come join us as we talk about the, the passages that we're preaching on on Sunday mornings. So... We're going to turn to the book of Hebrews today as we talk about how Jesus is God. That's an amazing statement when you think about it, that Jesus is God. That has serious implications for the way we live. That has serious implications for our lives, that Jesus is God. Because we tend to think of God as the Father. That, that when we pray to God, we, we think of that's the role of the Father. He is the one who answers our prayers, correct? That's what we think about when we think about God. And what the author of Hebrews is going to show us today is that Jesus is God. That there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And Jesus is God the Son. And we're going to talk about how he is God today. So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. It's on page 846 of the Bible in the chair in front of you if you didn't bring a Bible with you. I encourage you to bring your Bibles each week. Uh, Get to know your Bible, spend time in it. But it's on page 846 if you're not too familiar with the New Testament. And if you brought your Bible, it's on whatever page Hebrews chapter 1 is on. And we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to read the first three verses. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So we see in these first three verses, well, we see that Jesus is God. He says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. That is a a phrase in the Greek that has to do with minting coins. If I were to hold up a penny, who would you say is on the, the front side of the penny, the head side of the penny? Abraham Lincoln, right? Now, how do you know that? Because we have pictures and portraits of Lincoln and and they took a a die and they stamped a picture of Lincoln on the penny or they stamped a picture of uh, Washington on the quarter right that that is but it's not an exact representation it is not an exact representation of Lincoln because we really don't have a a, a good clear image of what Lincoln looks like but we kind of know what he looks like and so we have a, a a representation of Abraham Lincoln on our penny The author of Hebrews says that Jesus 
is the exact representation of God. That he literally is God. God in human flesh. That he came to earth. He was sent to earth by the Father. And he suffered and died. Uh, as it says there in, in Hebrews 1. That uh, he provided purification for sins. That God sent, God the Father sent God the Son. He sent Jesus Christ to come to earth to provide purification for our sins. That Jesus was the perfect human sacrifice. That he laid down his life. He went to the cross and he suffered and died. So that if we will believe in him, if we will put our trust in him, if we will trust him for salvation by believing in his name, repenting from our sins, confessing our faith and being baptized, that our sins will be washed away. Our sins will be purified. We will be made pure. This cannot happen any other way. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough for it. You don't deserve it. And neither do I. No matter how many good things we do, we can never balance out the scales of the wickedness in our lives. Couldn't do it. But Jesus provided purification for our sins when he went to the cross and he died for them. And it says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, just as he said he would. We sang the song earlier, because he lives. He lives. He was raised from the dead. And he ascended into heaven to the right hand of God the Father. And now he is worshipped and adored by multitudes of angels. Jesus is God. This is shown in other places in the New Testament, such as in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It's up on the screen for you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That Jesus is God. He is the Word, the Logos, the highest, uh, the ultimate in Greek thought was the Word. Jesus is the ultimate. He is God in human flesh. And He, the Bible says that through Him all things were made. And this is uh, reinforced in Hebrews chapter 1. That uh, He, through whom He made the universe, that God the Father created the universe through Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. That uh, John chapter 1 is proved right when he says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And further on in the book of John, we see that the Jews were going to stone Jesus because he claimed to be God. Now, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, if there is no lie in him, if he is the truth, then we believe what he says. And when he says in John chapter 8, I am, before Abraham was, I am. When he takes the name of God and they, they were going to pick up stones to, to stone him because he was committing blasphemy in their eyes, that he was claiming to be God. No, he is God. In John chapter 10, when he said, I and the Father are one, and they pick up stones to stone him again, it's because they knew what he was saying. He was saying that I am God. And they, they felt like he was committing blasphemy. But in reality, he was speaking the truth that Jesus is God. And this has serious implications for our lives. This has serious implications for the way that we live. We'll talk about those in just a few moments.
But Jesus is God. We know that the Father was pleased with him. In, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is on, goes up on, a, the mount of, uh, on the mountain with his, three of his disciples. And, and Elijah and Moses meet him there. And a cloud surrounds them and envelops them. And a voice from the cloud says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to the Son. Listen to Jesus. And if Jesus is God, which he is, then we must listen to him and obey him. For he is God. Now, in the rest of the chapter of chapter one of Hebrews, uh, of chapter one of Hebrews, we read about Jesus and the angels. There were some in the the original audience, the, those who received this letter, a Jewish. Uh, they were Jewish Christians, uh, converts to Christianity, and they had a high opinion of a- angels, and they 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 thought that there were some who even believed that Jesus was the archangel Michael. But we're going to see right now that that is impossible. That Jesus could not have been an angel. And pick it up in verse four. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That Jesus, when he sat at the right hand of the Father in heaven, that the angels bow before him. The angels worship him. They adore him. They honor him. They glorify him. Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is the king of angels. The angels bow and worship him. Why? Because he is God. Only God is worthy of worship. Only God is worthy of praise. Only God is worthy of honor. And the angels bow and they worship and they honor and they praise Jesus Christ. Because he is God. He is no mere man. He is no mere prophet. He's not just a good guy. He's not just a good teacher. He's not your buddy. He's not your friend. He is your friend. But he's more than just that. He is God. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is Jesus Christ. And he is worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. And we should listen to him. And we should obey him. Obey his word. He is God. So what does this mean for us? I mean, what, what, what are we supposed to do? When you get back to my original question of if you could hear God speak to you, what would God say to you? What would God speak to you? If you heard his voice, what would he say? I, I have some suggestions. They come from the word. They come from the gospels. 
Because I believe that we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, full of the words of God, full of the words of Jesus. And these are some of the things that he would say to us. We have been given his word, and we can read his word and study his word, and we can know what his voice is like. We can know what his voice would say. So I believe that Jesus would say something like this, that Jesus would say, uh, maybe to you today, he's saying uh, from Matthew eleven twenty eight 28-30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Maybe you are tired. Maybe you are exhausted. Maybe you are spiritually, emotionally, physically exhausted. Psychologically exhausted. Jesus says to you today, come to me. Quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to make things happen by yourself. But come to me and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound nice? I mean, just to rest in God, to rest in Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is used to steer two oxen. The two oxen will uh, work side by side to pull weight. Jesus says, all of the burdens of your life, all of the heavy loads that you are carrying, I will carry them with you. Bring them to me. Come to me. If you are weary, if you need rest, come to me and I will carry the burdens with you. You don't have to do it by yourself. Come to me, Jesus says. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. I will help you in your hour of need. Doesn't that sound great? So maybe that's what Jesus is saying to you today. Maybe he's saying you need to stop trying to do this all by yourself and you need to bring it to me. Or maybe Jesus is challenging you today. Maybe Jesus has a challenge for you. Maybe, you. maybe you haven't been living like you should. Maybe you've been doing the things that you want to do. And maybe you've been living selfishly and self-centeredly. And maybe you need to, 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 to come to Jesus again and hear him say these words. Luke nine twenty three. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Maybe you haven't been following Jesus. Maybe you've been living for yourself. And Jesus is saying to you, you need to stop what you're doing and take up your cross and follow me. You need to get in line and follow me. Because I've got an adventure for you. I've got a life for you. And the only way to get to heaven is through me. That if you want to get to heaven, if you want to get to where I am, Jesus says, then you need to follow me there. Because like I said earlier, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That there's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. In the song that we sang earlier, it is only through the name of Jesus that we can be saved. It is only through the name of Jesus Christ that we can have eternal life. So maybe Jesus is saying to you, I'm challenging you today to deny yourself and to pick up your cross and start following me. Because I'm going to take you where you want to go. I'm going to take you where you want to be if you will just follow me. Or maybe Jesus has a different command for you. Maybe he has a different challenge for you. This may sound a little familiar. From Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Maybe Jesus is telling you that you need to love God more. Maybe you love him with your heart, but you don't love him with your soul. Maybe you love him with your soul, but you don't love him with your mind. Maybe you need to love God more. And by loving God, that means, that means reading his word. That means spending time with him, communicating with him in prayer. Loving God means uh, obeying him. Jesus said that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So maybe Jesus is telling you today that you need to love God more. Remember this? Love God, love others. Remember that? Maybe you need to love God more. Or maybe you need to love others. You know, what did Jesus say there? The second is, is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, you need to love your neighbor. That means loving everyone around you. Not just your neighbor as in like the person sitting in the same row as you. But love your neighbor, not just the person who lives next door to you. But it means loving everybody. Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he said that the, the Samaritans and the Jews, they were enemies. And yet it was the Samaritan, the enemy of the Jew, who tended to him and healed him and brought him back to health. Even though they were enemies. And so we need to love everyone around us. We need to love those with whom we disagree. We need to love those who we consider our enemies or who may consider us to be their enemies. We need to love everyone. You know, I think you probably know what I'm talking about when I say uh, I want to talk for just a second about the biggest story in the news right now. Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, whatever. You know what I'm talking about, right? Here's the question I have. In light of this passage about loving your neighbor as yourself, if Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, were to walk in here this morning, what would happen? Here's what I would hope would happen. Here's my prayer. That we would say, welcome to GFCC. Let's worship Jesus together. Then maybe you would say, why don't you come sit next to me? We're glad you're here. That we want you to feel welcome here. We want you to find a relationship with Jesus Christ here. That it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've said, what you've thought. It doesn't matter your sin. It doesn't matter your struggle. It doesn't matter your temptation. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter. Jesus died for you because Jesus died for everyone what does John 3.16 say for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life that God so loved the world and if God loves the world then we must love the world if God's love is unconditional for the world no matter what your sin is, no matter what your struggle is, no matter what your addiction is, no matter what your fear is, no matter what you've done, if God loves the world, then we will love the world. Because I believe that the love of God changes lives. We can get on a high horse. We can point fingers. We can place blame. We can cast dispersions, we can cast judgment, we can cast condemnation and we're not going to change a life at all until we love 
people the way that Jesus loves people. And to expect people to have their act together when they walk in these doors is grossly wrong. What did Jesus say? In Mark 2.17, he said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous or the self-righteous, but sinners. And getting on a self-righteous high horse is not what Jesus would have us do. He would have us to do what he did. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save those who are sinners, who know that they are spiritually broken, who know that they are spiritually bankrupt, who know that they don't measure up, who know that they don't have it all together. It's the self-righteous ones that Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You're driving me nuts. When you think you've got it all together, that's when you have it together the least. It is through Jesus Christ alone that people can find hope. It is through Jesus Christ alone that people can find unconditional love and, and grace. Because if, if, if Bruce, Caitlin walks in here and doesn't find it here, where else are they going to find it? If it's not here, where else are they going to find it? They're not going to find it out there. They're not going to find the love of Jesus anywhere else but here. And we should be so full of the love of Christ for the world that anyone and everyone who walks through these doors should be overwhelmed by a tidal wave of God's love. Can we do that? We have to do that. Because that's what changes lives. It is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out in the lives of his people. We let the Holy Spirit do the work of transformation. We let the Holy Spirit do the work of conviction. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. And what our job is, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is what the voice of Jesus says to us today. So that I don't care who walks in through that door. We're going to love them. And we're going to help them follow Jesus. Because that's what we do here. I see some of you with your blue shirts on. What does the back of it say? What are we doing? We are helping people follow Jesus. And here's the good news about following Jesus is that he provides us the way. He tells us how to go. John 10, 27 says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. If you want to hear the voice of your shepherd, if you want to hear the voice of Jesus, listen. Listen to the word of God. For in the word of God, we find the voice of God. We hear the voice of Jesus. And when we listen to his voice, we will follow him. And we will know where to go. We will know what to do. So I go back to my original question. What would God say to you? What kind of question would you ask of him? How am I doing? Am I on the right track? How can I hear your voice? I believe that when we listen to the voice of Jesus, we hear the voice of God. Telling us where to go. Telling us what to do. Teaching us how to love teaching us how to be more like Christ. And that's the goal, to be more like Jesus. Because Jesus is God.